Hi, shalom, everyone. And thank you for joining us on another episode of uh, Crossing Boundaries. Um, my name is Kim Pasiosef. I'm streaming to you live from Tel Aviv, Israel. And together with me is one of our amazing co-founders, Aziz Abu Sera. Do you ever get fed up with me saying amazing co-founder? Yeah, um, this amazing at some point that looks like overused. That <laughs> <laughs> You want me to change the word up? Well, hi, Aziz. How are you? <laughs> You're wonderful, unbelievable. You know, there are other words in English. <laughs> so I'll just tell everyone again that uh, we've gone uh, live on uh, our podcast. So we're on different platforms. Feel free to look for us. It's the uh, previous episodes that we've started uploading. And um, slowly we'll, we'll go into a week-to-week basis. Um, feel free to share our, our talks on Facebook, on YouTube. Um, we, we love to reach new audiences. We feel like uh, we're putting a lot of work into uh, our podcast and our live stream and uh, happy to reach others. Absolutely. And today we talk about something that's a little rough to talk about, and that's why we decided to talk about it. I think this is kind of <laughs> our, our specialty. Um, which finding a space for conversation when there isn't as much a space and political divides is one of those. Uh, polarization is, is one of those topics that are really hard to, to address because we all have strong feelings, we all have political uh, ideas and principles and so on. And, and we probably many of us know people, some close, some far, farther from us that have different political views. And, in many cases, we might choose to just ignore it. In other cases, sometimes it just blow up. And if through my work and through our even travels, it's something that, it's a question that always comes back, is how do we talk about those tough things? We are a week away, less than a week away from the election, election night, election day, and we, you know, in the U.S., and this is this is a rough conversation that, you know, do you want to talk to your neighbor with a political sign that is different than yours or not? Uh, should you bring it up or not? So we thought this is, uh, this is a good topic for us to do. And I'll, I'll actually say that one of the one of the tours we, we did uh, end up initiating and uh, I've run uh, I've run a pilot uh, on it myself when I was in Washington is bringing a Republican and a Democrat and have them lead a trip together, kind of the same way we did it in Israel and Palestine. And we wanted to do it not just so they can argue, as often is the assumption even about Israelis and Palestinians, but so they can model a conversation, model uh, how we can be different, but still have productive conversation where we can agree with each other. And it went so well that I remember halfway through, I'm like, you forget you have people from other different parties because we were coming to so much more um, common grounds than our politicians are willing to. And so it, it was such a productive trip. And we talked about race issues. We visited uh, Anacostia in DC. We talked about DC right to vote, visited Heritage Foundation. So we went very conservative, very liberal, ended up having an unbelievable time. So today we kind of not going to go into so much Republican Democrat, but really talk about the essence of those conversations. And uh, the first guest we we have about that is um, we're going to bring on soon. Uh, Kim, do you want to mention uh, how we're doing this? Sure. Um, so our, our first guest actually uh, couldn't join us live. So we interviewed her earlier today um, and we'll just, have a short screening of, uh, of the questions. Unfortunately, we can't have a Q&A with her, but we'll move to our next speaker and, uh, and definitely answer all of your questions. Also, feel free to ask Aziz and I um, if, if needed or relevant. Right. So let's, uh, let's play the video. All right. Today, we are uh, going to have really amazing two people with us. And uh, we're starting with uh, Tamar Miller. And Tamar, we've known each other for 12 years, actually. I, I still remember when we met first time. We met and we you recruited me to join you in 
small part of a training you were doing at the conference we, I was attending. And it was fantastic. And since then, uh, fortunately, we, we stayed friends. But one thing I've realized through working with you and getting to know you is you're one of my favorite people when it comes to the topic that we're talking about today, when it comes to understanding those who we don't understand, trying to uh, go across uh, conversations that are difficult, dialogue when it's really hard to have a dialogue. And and when we talk about political issues, that's probably the roughest. And we look at, you know, divisions we have here in the United States, political divisions, the polarization, and it's not just happening here, it's happening in so many places in the world. And I wonder when you look at it, what do you see the reason for those kind of polarizations? The reason, <laughs> the main reason, the reasons, in plural, <laughs> um, do you have all day? <laughs> so, um, so thank you, Aziz. I think that if I want to start at the very, very basic uh, place of why people miscommunicate, misunderstand, polarize, get crazy, uh, really has to do with uh, the ability to have to function with self-knowledge. I know it sounds really, really basic and sounds maybe simplistic, but it seems to me that underlying so much of our miscommunication and misunderstandings has to do with reactivity in the people who are speaking to one another and has to do with the sense of everything, every problem is outside of myself. Right? Every problem is your fault. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to attack you. I'm going to humiliate you. And, you know, why do they call it sweet revenge? It feels good. Right? We understand from evolutionary biologists that actually taking revenge and hurting other people momentarily does something and it feels good inside. Um, there's something sweet about it. And so, to answer your question for the reason, I think there's a, um, obviously it's not the only reason, but I think there's a deficit in um, the capacity to step back, to take a look inside for a moment and say, what am I reactive to? What am I thinking? What do I need in this moment? Where's my pain? And, um, and just taking a moment to acknowledge all of that. And if you come to a conversation with some equanimity after experience that within yourself, many conversations and many conflicts um, can start at a more even keel. But without that foundation, I'm really concerned. Where do we even learn this though? I mean, is, is it something that uh, we would get from home, from our parents, or is it something that you feel, I don't know, debate in school would help out with, or wh where would we take this on? So it seems to me the answer is all of the above. Some people are temperamentally less reactive than others. Some people, because of um, traumatic situations of their lives are more reactive, some of the pain that they've actually experienced. And then many of us who have leg what's called legacy burdens and, you know, really inherited a traumatic lens on how we see the world. Everybody, everything's a lion, right? Everything's a snake hiding in the bushes. Then we react, we respond. There's no time to reflect and no time to think. And um, we're going to blame and shame and attack, humiliate, and all those nasty things that I don't know about you guys, probably not you guys, but certainly I've done. <laughs> and will again, I'm sure. <laughs> guilty, guilty. Talking <laughs> about. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, <laughs> you know what? One thing I found often also that that seems to cause this is this idea of grouping of like uh, you in your group, I'm in my group. Therefore, we against each other. And even when we align with each other on some things, we still 
find it hard to work together because I can't trust you. You're from this other group. And yeah. one of the ways to overcome that is, is kind of goes back to education is to learn to move between groups, which is something we don't really do much. We, you know, we go to school with people from our socioeconomic background, most mm -hmm. places in the world, people who are similar religion, similar background, similar, similar ethnicity, similar, so much similarities and we don't have an experience in moving between the groups most people i know are not fully really republican and fully really democrats most of us have opinions that fall here sometimes fall there sometimes opinions that neither republican or democrat or whatever libertarian a little mm -hmm. and you know uh, green a little bit and and yet we feel so stuck into our into our groups, and I know in Israel and in Palestine, it's it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. So here's what I think about that. And we were just kidding around a few minutes ago about the Starbelly Sneetches. For those of you who know the Dr. Seuss book, it doesn't even it doesn't matter what's on my belly, and it doesn't matter where I'm from. All of us, as as you're saying, Aziz, functions in this tribal way. So how this is how I think about that. Tribalism is like neither good nor bad. Let's start with that. Tribalism is really the heritage for Homo sapiens, right? Tribalism is um, a way that we've evolved, and it's done really amazing things. It's given us safety. It's given us the ability to pass along skills to our kids. Um, it's given us a structure. It's you know, allowed us to do things that we could never do alone. So the so the parts of tribalism that are helpful to us, both as individuals and as a group, is really fantastic, right? Yeah. I, well, of growing up in a homogeneous homogeneous society, that's very very comforting. Which it's very safe. I know my people. My people care about me. Out there, they taught me it's really bad out there. <laughs> no one's going to care. Just my tribe. Some of the safety parts are um, are interesting to me. Not to throw tribalism away completely. The part where I think you're talking about is the part where it's really dangerous. Where it's the us and them, where the boundaries are so tight that I can't go. I can't cross the border. We, we thought of, of this experiment we can do together in a second, and it actually reminds me this experiment of, uh, of a saying from Martin Luther King Jr. And he, in, in one of his uh, talks, he, he says about how we are divided, and he talks we are divided because we can't communicate. We can't communicate because we're separated, you know, and, and he eventually talks about we are, you know, because of fear, because of hatred, because, and how each one of those kind of rolls to the next one. So we are separated, we are afraid of each other, we eventually hate each other, and we, we but it all goes down to we can't communicate with each other. And so we, we decided to play a game together in some ways, where we try to demonstrate that. And it's kind of interesting as, as we put this together, I was thinking about depending which one thing we read now, you will either identify listening to us or you'll be like, no, 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 you don't get it. Because my brain, as I'm reading, I'm like, hmm, where do I fit in this? And yet we, we can talk across each other. And before we we go into explaining it. Let's uh, let's try it. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say something, and then Kim is gonna explain what she heard by it, and then Tamar, you will uh, explain what really is going on thinking as a person say. It. And it's not our personal views. We're gonna go both conservative, liberal, and we we took over uh, COVID as a topic. So if we are talking about COVID, and I say well, most people, anyway, don't die from it. You're making a big deal out of it. Most people survive it. Very few people, actually, when you look at it, die from it. When you say that, I hear you say that you don't care about all of these people that are dying, about 
220,000 people. That's huge. Right. And when you say most people don't die from it, I think in my head that you're a conspiratorial, conspiratorial, irrational idiot. Oh, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It. <laughs> We're role playing, but this isn't real, folks. <laughs> Let's go to the other side of okay. the argument. And if I'm saying, look, this is, uh, this is dangerous. We need to stay home until this is over. We, we can't just keep going out. Well, when you say that, um, I feel like or I'm, I'm hearing you say, I don't want to be inconvenienced or be a loser. All right. And when I hear you say that, what I'm thinking is that you are an elitist rich guy and you don't care if I lose all my money. So going back to the other political view, when I say you're just exaggerating the danger because you're just out there to get Trump. So what I hear you say is that COVID is a political weapon. When you say that I'm exaggerating the danger because I'm out to get Trump. I'm thinking you're being manipulated as a political weapon, not COVID. That's you. And then the response is, well, we can't get back to normal until at least we get a vaccine. We have to like take it slow and wait until we get a vaccine. We can just go out and act like nothing's happening. Stay home, no normalcy until we get a vaccine. And what I hear you say is, I control your life. I mean, you don't have control of your life for the next year. That's crazy. It's absurd. Right. And I'm thinking, God, I can't believe it. Don't you even trust scientists? What planet do you live on? So, <laughs> so we can see how we can talk across each other and not really be in the same conversation, right? Right. We're totally in a different conversation. Totally. And I think, Aziz, it really connects to what we're doing at Medzi, um, usually and today. I mean, we, we're always looking to meet people together, um, put them in the same room with someone that they wouldn't usually um, want to hear from or want to meet. So it's not only about moving or traveling, but it's actually meeting the people and talking to them. And, and I just wonder if our travelers are actually sitting in a room and listening to these people with different, um, I don't know, thought uh, uh, processes and if they're actually hearing them. Interesting to, uh, to research that. Yeah. And what, maybe we can end uh, tomorrow with, with, with something of how we can talk to each other instead of crossing these conversations. And I know, oh, you have some tips you can give us that could help us listen. And, and by listening, it doesn't mean you change your political view and change. This is not what this is about. It's about how do we move forward and really have a real conversation about this. And sometimes we are convinced, sometimes somebody else is convinced, but just having a really honest, good conversation. So, so briefly, one of the things that I have found really helpful and maybe it goes back to the first comment that we made, which is if you don't start with yourself, then you're nowhere. You're not inside a conversation. And this is um, Jack, the jackal and the giraffe is a short version of how we speak about um, nonviolent communication, which was developed by Marshall Rosenberg. Some of you may have heard about it. Um, it's actually used in many conflicts around the world. It's used in private relationships and it's used in jails. It's used in political settings. So the jackal is the kind of person who, who does exactly the role that I played. Sort of you're thinking these hostile thoughts and they actually come out of your mouth. The giraffe is the largest land animal with the large, I mean, is the, has the largest heart of any land animal, has a really big heart. So that's why we talk about the jackal and the giraffe. So nonviolent communication creates peace at three levels. 
within ourselves without blame or judgment or loathing, self-loathing, between people, kind of a compassionate give and take, and in our social structures, government, education, business, media, religious institutions, okay? Um, so it's really takes place anywhere. And here's the methodology in what, Aziz, three minutes or less? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Essentially, what we think about is power with, not power over, when we talk about NVC. So the role I played, I'm just giving you a sense of all the horrible thoughts I have about you. I want to take revenge. I, I want to hurt you. I want to blame you. I want to shame you. That's my instinct because you're hurting me and we are so not communicating. So I have to shift my brain and I have to say, you know what? Let me have power with you, not power over you. How do we do that? So we think, let's have some compassionate giving and receiving, okay? Both for myself and also to you. So nonviolent communication assumes that we share all the same basic human needs. Obvious to most of us, maybe not some of us, I don't know. But here's the really deep thought. All actions are a strategy to meet one or more of those needs. All actions are a strategy. So even if I'm yelling at you, screaming at you, going nuts, killing you, right? Going to war with you, it's a strategy to meet my needs for what? Security, um, abundance, money, land, whatever it is, it's an action. Um, but the way the, ja the way the jackal gets it is by doing all these things, the way the gi giraffes get it, gets it has four steps in it. And this is obviously going very quickly and it takes a lifetime to practice. Okay, the giraffe observes, connects, feels, and makes a request. So here's an example. Um, let's say the jackal says, goes to war you know, or shoots you. Um, that's a tragic expression of an unmet need, need, right? What I need is security, but I'm going to war with you. So it's tragic expression of my unmet need because what I really need is security and safety. And what I'm doing is precisely the opposite. And we see that over and over and over again in our private lives and in our public lives. So I have to ask myself, what is alive in me? What are my feelings? My feelings are rage, fear, um, anger, loss, devastation. I have a lot, a lot of different feelings. Most of those feelings come out in anger, but there's a lot of um, sadness and confusion under that as well. And as I said, my needs are for safety. So I want to communicate. I want to make a neutral observation. Um, what, what, what would be a good example? Um, well, let's take, let's take the thing of wearing a mask, okay? So my neutral observation for the COVID example is you're not wearing a mask. A not neutral observation would be you are a total idiot for not wearing a mask, right? Take out the judgment. I feel really scared that you're not wearing a mask. I need and value my health and the health of my family, and in fact, everybody. And then I make a very concrete request, would you please wear a mask? But what's different about asking to wear a mask when you're with me in the market is very different than blaming and shaming, not telling you how I feel, not telling you really what I need in some neutral way, and making a request that has a blame and judgment in it. Okay, those are the four practices. I think I used my three minutes, Aziz. Again, this is a lifetime, this is a lifetime practice. That's the short of it. <laughs> very, very quickly. That's awesome. I think it's a good way to, uh, to leave people with as well in our conversation with you. And thank mm -hmm. you so much for joining us and for giving us those tips and I think, like you said, this is just a beginning, getting people. I think we have a lot of resources we've given people. One is definitely the nonviolent communication. The other is we sent to people the book, The Righteous Mind, which okay. uh, you recommended to me to read it. And uh, this week I've been reading it. It's an incredible book that helps you just rethink 
everything you know about people who you disagree with politically yeah. and understanding where they're coming from. Uh, right. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. No problem. Great to see you. <laughs> well, this, this was an amazing, uh, I think both of us, Kim, uh, I think I speak for both of us saying this was an incredible conversation and our, our next guest will join us in a, in a second, Marcella Norris, who's a, who's a friend and I'll introduce her when, when she joins us. But before we, we uh, start asking Marcella questions, Kim, uh, one of the things that came up was the idea of a groupie. And I know you, you had different groups and perhaps one of the reasons you didn't find it hard working with us, with Mejdi, is you somewhat used to move between different groups. And that's the part we, we started talking about. Even, even when it comes to soccer, I mean, your, your family split between the two different teams that can't stand each other in the world, or two of the main ones. There's Real Madrid and Barcelona, we're not talking about them, but, but Liverpool, the best team, and Manchester. Um, but your family is even divided on that. And, and we talk about one of those, but moving between these different groups have probably helped um, helped you go through uh, being prepared for, for the kind of work you're doing now. Am I right? Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree with that, but I still have that same urge of, you know, wanting to group with my own, with my own people. And it was a hard move from Manchester United to Liverpool. <laughs> but more from, I don't know, I, I, when I was young, we moved to the U.S. and we moved in the U.S. to different uh, spots and then um, coming back to Israel and, you know, leaving as a kibbutz member into a big city, it, it, it automatically shifts your mind into different um, or into this dialogue about who am I and who do I see myself with when I'm grouping. Um, and when we talked about it, it also came up that it's the same for the scouts, um, you know, the little group that you have when you're young or um, the even in my military service, you know, my staff became my people. And it was so important to have, I don't know, an, an animal that represented us. Um, and, and then automatically you don't like the other animals. Uh, and, and I think it, it is something that I've <laughs> that I've dealt with throughout my life, but I can I can say that coming into Majdi, it's not something that frightened me. Even though I grew up in Israel and I've never been to Palestine before I started working at Majdi, um, it, it wasn't something that uh, completely scared me off. Right, and I think that's something to keep thinking about is we all have some kind of, group we we belong to and have to be aware of that and to think that I need to learn about what the other's point of view is, what the other groups are. And is it really exclusive in the thing? If I'm here, I can't be also there and I can't listen and learn from those who are different than me. I, to me, it's amazing. Like I love soccer, but it's amazing or American football, whatever that the identity of even a team, a football team, people can die for that. Wars have literally oh, yeah. ignited. Uh, if you talk people uh, to people in Serbia and Croatia, they'll point to a soccer game and say, this was a spark when it really all, you know, it's not the only reason, but it was one of the moments where people said, yeah, we're going to go after you. And it's a football thing. So imagine yeah. when, things that are dealing with healthcare and with race and with so many things that we all feel so strong about, it's like a hundred times more. So it doesn't surprise me that we become so polarized. And maybe it's time we move to, to Marcella. Um, Marcella, we met on a, on a trip uh, to Jerusalem when I was working at George Mason. You were doing your master's in conflict resolution. And I remember one of the reasons I wanted you to join this conversation is we we had a lot of these kind of conversations on the trip. We ended up often talking about polarization, about how to have conversations across these kind of divides and, and really enjoyed. And this was like seven years ago, I think we did this trip, eight years ago, something like that. And it's still, I remember those conversations were so fun and 
and were different than other conversations I had, even with people who had PhD in conflict resolution and so on, uh, you were much more practical and much more, you thought about it, Here, here's how I do it kind of thing, which, which was really more interesting to me than let's talk about the theory of conflict resolution and then not practice it, which sometimes happened. <laughs> uh, so do you wanna tell us maybe, how do you approach how do you approach that? How do you approach this conversation of polarization and people who are different? And uh, what do you do? Yeah, um, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad that's the story you took away from our trip. Um, there there was a lot going on when we were there, and there were a lot of challenges that that we faced. And I'm I'm really grateful to have had that opportunity. Um, I think the word you're using there, though, is like kind of my like what I hang my hat on when I come to these types of things is conversation rather than something like conversion or trying to get someone to see the world my way. I think it's fascinating to understand um, how and why people view the world differently. And that's truly, I think, what is at the core of a lot of these challenges is someone believes or more highly prioritizes one thing over another. And that may or may not be at the same point you know, ordering that I would have them. And so I think truly having this as a, like approaching it as a conversation, approaching it as a learning opportunity about a part of the world that I don't know that much about of, or haven't experienced, um, everybody's worldview is different. And it truly informs your, your views, your, your voting, your beliefs, those types of things. Um, and, I try and approach difficult conversations like this as an opportunity to better understand what you value, what you think is important. Um, and to kind of go back to what you guys were talking with Tamir, how you choose to, or have had to fill the needs that you have in your life in the past, right? How do you actually approach that? It may be different than mine. Um, and I find that to be really interesting and fascinating. Um, and I learn a lot from it. Um, but approaching it as a conversation, approaching it as a, a way to learn rather than a way to win or convince someone else of something, I think for me is the most productive way to do it. In, one way I found working, uh, at least for me, is even in conversation, it depends how I approach that conversation, the sense what, what's the attitude? Am I uh, asking questions or am I lecturing in that conversation? Am I agitated very quickly because they say it's something that annoys me or am I really trying to understand? And I found asking questions to be such a powerful thing, especially if you don't ask it with the attitude of like, you're an idiot and I'm smart and let's talk about it. Uh, you kind of, in your answer, you, you had so many things I want to pick at. Well, yeah, I mean, asking questions is a huge thing. And to some degree, I think there's two different places where you can ask questions. I think if you're gonna be jumping into a conversation about politics or any of these types of things, even honestly, American football, like sports <laughs> and identity there, um, you need to know where you stand. And so I think you need to ask yourself some questions about where, what are your priorities, like what is your, what are your priorities? What are your beliefs? What are things that might send you over the edge if somebody said it to bring it more into a contest rather than a conversation? What are kind of your no-go areas of like, this is something that I truly believe and cannot hear anything counter to, right? We all have those. Um, but also asking questions in the conversation, right? I was listening to the experiment you guys were doing and all I wanted to know was like, well, you know, what, how are you, Aziz, how are you employed? Why do you think that we should be moving about more often and that this is really important to be able to reopen or prioritizing a vaccine or something like that for coronavirus? Well, it's because you run a travel company, right? Like it, it's not because you necessarily don't value someone's life. It's because you have real on the ground needs that are be that are no longer being able to be met because your business has had to shift. So, you know, this conversation rather than leading towards. And so asking those conversations, asking those questions in those conversations of, well, you say X, you know, why, how do you, how did you get there? Right? Like other people think differently, help me understand where you're coming from, I think is a really powerful and oftentimes like 
not jarring, but like completely a, like a detour in the conversation that people aren't expecting. And that can lead to really cool places. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think one of the, one of the points you just said about asking uh, where people come from, I found stories here to be mm -hmm. interesting. You know, we very quickly jump into, tell me your position. Are you pro-apportion against apportion? Are you pro, uh, you think Black Lives Matter, matter this or that? And you want to kind of box people very quickly so you can put them either with you or against you in that issue. Uh, I found instead asking people how they ended up where they are, how they ended up, what's the journey, what's their association with that, that's really more telling. And last February, just before the whole closing happened, I was speaking at the Conservative Christian College, or Christian College. Uh, and the, one of the young men there, after I did my talk, said, can I meet with you for an hour? I want to move to DC. I want to become a politician one day. I'm going to go to study law. And I'd like to pick your brain about some of the stuff I want to do. So I talked to him. He's a pretty conservative uh, kid and had really an amazing conversation with him. And at the end, we talked about Israel and Palestine a little bit. And he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm more pro-Israel. I said, okay, how come? And he said, well, my parents are pro-Israel and out of respect for my parents, I'm pro-Israel until I find something that would convince me otherwise. But my respect for my parents, I'm not gonna go and say, oh, they wrong until I have a reason to think that. Now, being a Palestinian, I could have responded, you just being an idiot and you are a sheep and you're following your parents blindly and what's wrong with you? Didn't you hear me? You know, I could have gone into any direction, which many of my friends would have done. And if he said the pro-Palestinian, many of my Israeli friends would have done the same. But I realized his value, what you were talking about earlier, his value was family. That's more important than you know, understanding the international affairs or even, you know, Palestinian issues or which he's not as connected to. So if his parents believe this, it's not easy for him to even get a nuance and be more pro-peace or so on. And that's something we miss in our conversations, trying to really dig deeper and not have these superficial conversations. Yeah, definitely give a context to the conversation. And, and actually, that brings me to a question to you, Aziz. Um, as a tour guide, when you're guiding a group, I know that sometimes um, our, our audience has some clashes with the speakers that they're, that they're meeting because they think completely different from them. Um, how do you prepare the travelers to this type of meeting? Like, you know, sometimes, for example, they'll be in Palestine for a few days and then they go have... Shabbat dinner at a rabbi's house. How do you prepare them for that so that there isn't a, a clash? Ooh, how did I do it, Marcella? I don't know. Uh, let's see. I, I try to explain kind of almost word by word what Marcella said earlier, saying we are not there to convert this person to believe what you believe. We are there to learn. And in reality, if you approach, if anybody approaches you with the concept of, I want to convert you, whether it's religiously or politically, you usually don't appreciate that. Most of us would be a little bit defensive to that idea of conversion. And if you come in as, I want to learn, conversion could end up happening, but if you approach it as, I want to learn, if you listen first, people will listen to you. If you don't listen first and you're just jumping in to speak and say your opinion, people don't want to connect with that. Uh, earlier, I was talking with one of our uh, colleagues and you know, I was reminded of this, uh, this saying I learned when I was in Bible college. It said, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I like that saying because eventually, this whole arguments we often have about facts and numbers and, and let's approve, let me show you how you're wrong. Yeah, but the fact is I can come to my computer and go to, you know, one comedian say it's uh, allmyfactsareright.com and, you know, I'll find 
facts that will contradict your facts and it won't make a difference. You're not gonna convince somebody only by facts. I'm not saying facts are not important, but they're not the only way. Let's talk about stories, who we are. Let's put aside this like, how can I convert you and change you in one conversation? You know, I'm gonna change your life in just one conversation. It just doesn't happen. Like meet people's friends and they might change their political views. You might change your political views. It's just how conversations go. Especially when they're very emotional. Um, I, I know that kind of connects us to last week's episode too, when you know we, were, we had the two speakers and, and one was telling one reason for the president's son going to visit uh, that city. And then the other was saying it's a completely different reason, which it was interesting to see how we were hearing things and, and reading them differently than uh, they actually are. Um, how would you actually, Marcella, maybe... How do you deal with something like that when someone is telling you, um, you know, their thoughts and you know that it's untrue or you see it completely differently? How would you even go about to have them listening to you <laughs> when you're when you're telling them your side? It's a great question. Highly topical. Um, but so for me, I don't. I don't think my strength in being able to have these conversations or these types of conversations are really possible without what Aziz was saying is like kind of like a continued interaction, right? Like I, I can't tell you how to deal with like internet posts or anything like that. I generally don't engage in them because um, the anonymity as well as the kind of lack of repeat interaction, I don't think is going to change anyone's mind. Um, and I think there's actually studies out there that said like that are looking at how um, presenting, you know, different facts or counterfacts or even actually the, the truth, right, to try and convince them based on facts isn't necessarily the best way to go or really all that effective cognitively. Um, but for me, it comes down to remembering both either why the topic we're talking about is important or and or oftentimes both, why the person you're talking to or the group you're talking to is important, right? If this is your neighbor who you, you know, you're going to live next to for the next 30 years, it may be really important to understand where they're coming from, why they're coming from there, why they go there for their news or their facts, and to build that relationship based on questions and understanding and trying to understand their worldview and their preference orderings rather than just kind of hitting them over this like broadside with with the facts because I don't think we're necessarily having these kind of constructive conversations with people that don't matter on topics that don't matter. And so if if that person and or that topic matters enough to you to build that relationship because I think that's certainly the most enlightening way to go enlightening way to go when it comes to understanding and um, really kind of getting to the core of it. Marcel, two, I think a year or two ago, I was invited to speak at Liberty College. And I remember getting some really angry from really good friends, like, how could you go and speak at Liberty? Don't you know what they think about this topic? Don't, haven't you heard Falwell message about this? This is not, you are a peacemaker. They not, you know, all these like very angry messages. And it kind of fits into what we're saying is like we're creating these situations where we don't talk really to people who might think differently. And I, I did go to Liberty and I have to say, had an unbelievable time. People were among the, like the way I was welcomed, I was not censored in saying anything. I was treated with so much respect and realized, yeah, there are people there I disagree with. There are people there actually that I agree with. There are, it's one of the largest universities in the US and me not going there because I disagree with the president, past president now of the university, I thought was a big mistake, but it feels like it's a reality that's now happening in the country everywhere. Like 
I was reading something that people now are more willing to marry across racial religious divide, but not across political divides. Like we creating that echo chamber of like, I don't want to even talk to anybody different. Any ideas of how do we convince people listening to us here or how can people do have those conversations? Why is it important for us to have those conversations? I think it comes back down to repeated interactions, right? I think it comes back down to the fact that we still have to live in this country, <laughs> right? I don't have another passport disease, <laughs> right? Like I, this is where I'm from. This is where I live. And I think it's, it's critical to be able to kind of find the humanity in it because we do have divides and we have um, these groups that we have either joined or been put in um, and it's cognitively very easy or it's easier to approach the world and, and see kind of those bins we put people in or they put themselves in or some conglomeration of the two um, and to understand them as we were talking about this student who came up to you and said, you know, I'm pro, I'm, I'm more pro-Israel than I am pro-Palestine. It's very easy to just write that off and say, I don't like you and I'm going to react this way to you. It's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more energy intensive it's a lot more cognitively pressing and it's tiring to be open and be there to say i don't agree with you but i'm really interested in why you think this mm -hmm. because it's it's more difficult right we have these kind of mental shortcuts whether it's we're walking into the ballot box and we just pick an r or a d because we didn't look up who's running for city council, right? Or we can't remember all the names. Um, but I think there's certainly important work there that needs to be done at on your ballot, but also like on the interpersonal side. I don't think necessarily that there's a one-off large scale kind of intervention that can be done. But I think this happens around the dining room table, right? It happens in those relationships where you know you're gonna see this person again on issues that you think are really important or they think are really important and you disagree mm -hmm. because we're going, hopefully going to have Thanksgiving next year, <laughs> right? Where we have to do this again and we have to be able to um, kind of come together and find a way to, 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 to continue living next door to each other. So I'm assuming it also has a lot to do with education work. I mean, at home and at school where you're telling your kids it's okay that his parents, her parents have different thoughts than, than we do. Um, just uh, showing a, a good example to our kids, I guess. Oh, certainly like accepting plurality and accepting multiple <laughs> opinions, I think is, is, is a, a key piece of it. But that's not to like downplay how difficult that can be and how taxing that can be to continually coming back to that. Um, that's not something that is easy or that I'm even able to continually commit to do it, right? Like you catch me on a bad day, like it's not necessarily going to be true, but it's about approaching the conversations in a way that you're willing to and able to kind of manage them. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, some of the people I, I consider like incredible and maybe it, in some ways it's highlighting some of the actions of these people. One of them we interviewed here, like Daryl Davis, who's an African-American guy who helped many people from even the Ku Klux Klan to change and to move. And it took him years sometimes to convince one person, but even the way he approached it, he, he would, you know, I had long conversations with him and he says, I would just sit and listen. And I've listened to them saying super racist stuff. And I wouldn't, I just learned to disassociate that from being an attack on me and realize they're not attacking me, they're ignorant, they don't understand who I am. They're saying stuff they've learned wherever they learned it. I'm not gonna take it personal. And they'll tell him stuff like, you know, black people brains are smaller than white people brains, which is really hard to, to hear. Like, 
I'd be furious and he'll, he'll laugh it off and say, mm, let's measure if you want our brains. I bet you they not. Or they'll say, you always on welfare. And he's like, I've never been on welfare. And, but he would listen to them sometimes for hours saying all that stuff and respond not with anger, but respond with saying, I want to tell you my story. And if we can use these people more as an example, instead of, you know, I don't watch any more talk shows because they just, whether left or right, because they just tell you what to think. And it frustrates me. I try to read in news from things like allsides.com, which gives you the liberal and the conservative point of view on every issue, which I really appreciate. If we start highlighting those in our daily lives and say, this is a way we deal with each other, whether you're conservative or liberal. I just think we would be in such a different place than where we are today as a country. But we we kind of look at people who listen and people who want to do the work you're talking about, we are talking about as almost like losers or suckers in some ways. It's like, yeah, but, but in reality, to me, somebody like Daryl Davis is a hero, not a loser. He's somebody who we all should be using as an example and to aspire to be there. And you're right, we're not always in that place, but it's it's somewhere where we can aspire to instead of being like, well, I'm just gonna listen to news from my own point of view because it's uncomfortable for me to hear something different. Wait, and you're the one that um, originated the dual narrative uh, approach to guiding? Sounds, uh, sounds familiar in, in your words. I think that's something that we usually, or most of our guides will open the tour with right? Uh, listening does not necessarily mean that you're agreeing with uh, this person. And and if you take a step outside of your comfort zone throughout this tour, you might be surprised. You might hear something that you've never even thought of reading because, you know, like you said, some people watch specific shows, they read specific news outlets. Um, it's uh, It's interesting. Marcella, any final thoughts before uh, before we finish? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think this is a quick fix kind of thing, right? It's about being curious about where other people are coming from and how they think, um, regardless of if you're looking to change your mind or not. Yeah. Well, let's challenge our listeners, whoever is joining us on Facebook or here, try to seek to listen to a view that is different than yours this week, whether it's a through story, whether it's even through an outlet, not the talk show news, but just trying to understand a different point of view. Um, try maybe allsides.com is a good way for you to do it. Maybe um, just uh, meeting, well, now meeting is harder. I was gonna say, invite somebody to dinner and, and do it virtually who's different than you on, on some views and try to listen Sure, share your story, explain why something is important to you, what's the value in it that's important to you. Um, I try, I try to just get one of you, and again, like Marcella said, this is hard. It's not simple, it's not easy, it is hard. But yeah, I hope you can do that. And I know, Kim, we are preparing some new products we will be rolling out that hopefully will help with some, with some of those kind of ideas. Right. Um, in addition to this weekly live stream, we're planning on having private uh, online sessions. Uh, some will be 360, some cooking classes. Um, we're, we're going to launch uh, different virtual tours. So uh, that's something to look forward to. And hopefully it will also continue this conversation of um, creating new connections, crossing boundaries, um, and like I said before, listening to someone that you don't necessarily agree with. Okay, well, and as we usually end our conversation, it's not where we travel to, but it's how. <laughs>